0: Hi, this is Tanya, and you're listening to Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Hi, everyone, and welcome once again. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. It's Sunday, July 2nd, and this is your Sunday Sermon. Well, my friends, we've come to the end of our sermon series called Getting There. And the whole idea behind this series, as we've been telling you, is that we're looking for ways to make forward progress in our spiritual walk. In other words, we want to become more mature Christians. We started out with part one on Mother's Day with a sermon from Psalm 22, where we found that the psalmist was getting there. He was growing spiritually because his mother set the foundation for his spiritual walk from birth. Then in part two, we looked at Psalm 139 and we saw how the psalmist David grew to see and appreciate just how powerful God's design was for his life and for ours. In part three, we looked at Psalm 42 and we talked about longing for the Lord. We learned that because of what Jesus did for us, we could seek him with everything we have. We should be honest when we can't, force ourselves to remember what is true and to decide to trust God. Then in part four, we looked at Psalm 32 and we talked about a very difficult topic, forgiveness. But in our journey, we realized that even though we've messed up, we could stabilize our lives and stop dragging that pile of sin around. We learned that there was a better way. We learned about the fruit of forgiveness. In part five, we talked about Psalm 119 and Proverbs 22 verse 28, and we talked about protecting our boundary markers. We found that we need to know exactly where God's boundary markers are and adjust our lives accordingly to be in line with His. And once that happened, we needed to protect those markers. In part six of the series, that was on Father's Day and we turned to Psalm 128 for wisdom and guidance. We learned that God told earthly fathers He wanted to bless their families, make them strong, and make their homes safe and happy places. And we learned how God does that and what it takes to be a successful father. Last week, in part seven, we examined what is arguably one of the most well-known psalms in the Bible, Psalm 23. We spent a lot of time talking about the shepherd's provision and how it was personal, that his protection was pervasive and that his pleasure was paramount. All of that to discover more fully the Lord who leads. Today in part eight, we close this series by looking at 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verses 24 to 33. And we're gonna talk about a time of testing and a man named Hezekiah. There's a lot to talk about, but as we always do, would you join me in an opening word of prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, most mighty and high God, we are so honored to be with you today. Thank you for all that have come to hear, to sit at your feet and hear from your word today. God, teach us in this final message on the Getting There series about a time of testing. Lord, we love you and we are grateful for you. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen and amen. There was a man who spoke of one of the most challenging courses he'd had in his college as being a business law class in which the professor gave difficult, true and false tests. The man said, during one of the more exasperating exams, I noticed another student flipping a coin. The professor approached him. Son, are you guessing on the test, he said. No, sir, replied the student. I'm just checking my answers. I can sure relate to that. When I was in college, it was a fact of life that you'd be given tests. There were essay tests, true and false tests, fill in the blank tests, and multiple choice tests. I got to the point where I knew which teachers were going to give what kind of test, so I'd study accordingly. The purpose of those tests? Easy, to find out how much I knew, and as well as my classmates. But for the most part, they were never fun. They were just part of college life. And beloved, testing is part of our lives as Christians. And the purpose of testing our faith is to help us get there to see whether or not our faith is real and how strong that faith is. Now here in 2 Chronicles, we have the story of Hezekiah. Second Chronicles chapter 32, verse 32 tells us, God put him to the test, but the closer I looked at this, the more I realized that this was only one of many tests that God had Hezekiah take. You know, we often get the impression that when we belong to God, the road is gonna be smooth. It's kind of like getting in our car and driving on a super highway and there's no obstacles in sight. But in reality, life with God is more often like the roads we encounter around here. Roadwork, detours, and delays that drive us to distraction. That's because God tests us. He challenges our faith on occasion, in the same way Hezekiah's faith was constantly being tested and challenged. In Deuteronomy 13, the Israelites were instructed to watch any prophet or dreamer of dreams very closely to make sure that such individuals would not try to lead them astray with heretical teachings then it says the oddest thing in verse 3 Deuteronomy 13 verse 3 you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or the dreamer of dreams for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul God tests his people because he loves us and he tested Hezekiah for the same reason now to begin with it's important that we realize what kind of man Hezekiah was Hezekiah was an impressive leader he was the kind of man that every leader in this church should seek to model himself after. Second Kings 18.3 tells us, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that David his father had done. And Second Kings 18.5 says, He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. That was no small accomplishment on his part, because Hezekiah's father, Ahaz, was perhaps one of the wickedest men that ever ruled Judah. In fact, let's look at Second Chronicles chapter 28, verses 22 to 25, and let's find out about Ahaz. In the time of his distress, he became yet more faithless to the Lord, this same King Ahaz. For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus that had defeated him, and said, Because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me but they were the ruin of him and all of Israel. And Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of God and cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God. And he shut up the doors of the house of the Lord. And he made himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. In every city of Judah, he made high places to make offerings to other gods, provoking to anger the Lord, the God of his fathers. That's incredible, isn't it? King Ahaz stripped the temple of its furnishings and closed it down. He had altars built on literally every street corner in Jerusalem and all the high places in the country. In fact, it was so bad that earlier, back in verse 3, that would be 2 Chronicles 28, verse 3, the chapter says, He made offerings in the valley of the son of Hinnon and burned his sons as an offering. That's right. Since Hezekiah's dad was inclined to sacrifice his sons to pagan idols, it's a wonder he survived to reign to begin with. But once his father died and hezekiah took the throne he began to clean house for 16 days under his directive the temple was cleansed and refurbished the pagan altars and pillars were torn down and one of the relics of israel's past the snake on the pole that moses had been ordered to build was destroyed because it had become an object of worship hezekiah was indeed a righteous man unlike many others who ruled in those days why did hezekiah do all this There are two great influences in his life that I believe really shaped him. First was his mother, the daughter of a Levitical priest, who probably introduced him to the second most influential person in his life, and that is Isaiah. At this point, let's read the text today. Second Chronicles chapter 32, beginning with verse 24, all the way to verse 33. And let's see what's happening with Hezekiah. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at a point of death. And he prayed to the Lord and he answered him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him, for his heart was proud. Therefore wrath came upon him in Judah and Jerusalem. But Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah had very great riches and honor, and he made for himself treasuries of silver, for gold, for precious stones, for spices, for shields, for all kinds of costly vessels, Storehouses also for the yield of grain, wine, and oil, and stalls for all kinds of cattle and sheepfolds. He likewise provided cities for himself, and flocks and herds in abundance, for God had given him very great possessions. This same Hezekiah closed the upper outlet of the waters of Gihon, and directed them down to the west side of the city of David. And Hezekiah prospered in all his works. And so in the matter of the envoys of the princes of Babylon, who had been sent to him to inquire about the sign that had been done in the land, God left him to himself in order to test him and to know all that was in his heart. Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and his good deeds, behold, they are written in the vision of Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, in the book of the kings of Judah of Israel. And Hezekiah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the upper part of the tombs of the sons of David. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem did him honor at his death. And Manasseh, his son, reigned in his place. So let's just be clear here. Hezekiah was a godly and admirable man. Considering the nature of the text we just read, you might get a different impression. But never forget this, my friends. This was a man who loved God and whom God loved deeply in return. Now let's take a look at the events that shaped Hezekiah's reign. No sooner do we read about his monumental cleansing of Judah's pagan influences, than a great terror begins to overshadow the nation. Sennacherib, the king of the Assyrians, comes to pay a visit, and he's not there on a social call. He comes to take Jerusalem by force. This was Hezekiah's first great test. Hezekiah rebelled against the Assyrians and refused to serve them, but it was several years before Assyria decided to punish Judah for that. When Sennacherib comes to visit, he's not satisfied with simply taking his bribe and going home. He intends to make an example of Hezekiah and the city of Jerusalem. I don't think this was a coincidence either. I believe God was setting Hezekiah up for his first test. What catches my attention in this part of the story is how much text in scripture is dedicated to Sennacherib's taunting words at the walls of the city. You should really read about it. It's in 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 19 to 35. Rarely does God's word give so much play to that kind of arrogance and pride. I once read about the movie Artistry of Alfred Hitchcock. Commenting on how he succeeded in creating suspense in his movies, he explained how he spent a great deal of time helping his audience understand the power of the villain in his story and the amount of danger the hero was in. It wasn't enough to simply startle his viewers. They needed to be emotionally involved in what was at stake. That's what God is doing here. He's setting the stage both for Hezekiah and for us. He wants us to understand in no uncertain terms that Jerusalem doesn't stand a chance against a powerful foe. He wants us to comprehend the danger Hezekiah faced and the temptation he must have considered to give in. It was a hard test, but Hezekiah passed it with flying colors. He doesn't fold, he doesn't give in, he doesn't surrender. Instead, he does the most important thing he could possibly do. Take a look at 2 Kings 19 verse 1. It says, as soon as king hezekiah heard it he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the lord then he sends word to isaiah to plead with god on jerusalem's behalf the result god stepped in and the assyrians were crushed in one night by the power of a single angel A hundred eighty-five thousand of their soldiers died and the might of sennacherib returns home with his tail between his legs now hezekiah's second test comes sometime later 2nd Kings chapter 20 begins by telling us in verse 1, In those days Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. Now I find this a bit odd. No other person that I can think of in all of scripture was ever told that they were going to die. But God takes a special effort to have Isaiah go pay the king a visit. Again, I don't believe this was simply a social call. I believe God was putting Hezekiah to the test again, and again Hezekiah passed with flying colors. The test drove him to pray as he may never have prayed before. 2 Kings 20 verses 2 and 3, Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Now, O Lord, please remember how I have walked with you in faithfulness and with a whole heart, and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Isaiah is barely out the door of the palace when God tells him to turn around and go back and inform the king that he will live another 15 years. Isn't that incredible? Now in today's passage, 2 Chronicles 32, we find that God is testing Hezekiah one more time, but this time the test is more serious. Let's look. 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verse 31, it says, And so in the matter of the envoys of the princes of Babylon, who have been sent to him to inquire about the sign that had been done in the land, God left him to himself in order to test him and to know all that was in his heart. The purpose of tests is to show the instructor what the student has learned. But in this case, the instructor is God and he already knows what's in our hearts. So his tests are different because they're intended to help us know where we are in our walk with God. They're a teaching tool from God to shape our personality. Now we need to understand that every believer is going to go through tests. God cares enough for our personal walk with him that periodically these tests are gonna challenge us. And how we respond to the challenge determines whether we pass or fail. Sometimes we do fail. Sometimes we make the wrong decisions. Take heart, my beloved, because many of God's people have made bad decisions and fallen short on their test. An excellent example is Abraham. Abraham is spoken of as the great man of faith. He is the father of those who show faith in their lives. But Abraham didn't always come off that way. For example, when he and his wife went down to Egypt, it was common knowledge that the king there liked pretty women and wasn't always particular about whether they were married or not. If he liked the woman, the husband often died unexpectedly. We pick up the story in Genesis 12 verses 11 to 13. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a beautiful woman in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say that you are my sister, that it may go well for me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake. So where was Abraham's faith? Why did Abe decide to depend upon deception to protect himself? Because God was testing him and he failed. That's why a few years later in Genesis 20 verses 1 and 2, Abraham finds himself in a similar situation in Gerar. This is what it says. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. So once again, Abraham failed the test. Several times, in fact, throughout his life, Abraham made bad decisions and failed several times. But ultimately, he passed the test on Mount Moriah when he was asked by God to sacrifice his son, Isaac. Failing God's tests are rarely fatal. God simply brings along another test to challenge our faith and nudge us closer to trusting him. What's remarkable about Hezekiah is that he passed every test God put before him. He is indeed a godly man, but toward the end of his reign, Hezekiah had become impressed with himself. He became proud. And as verse 31 of the text said, God left him to himself in order to test him. That's a bit odd, isn't it? God left him? Why would he do that? Well, as James chapter four, verse six says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In a church, God tells us that certain people need to be disciplined. If their sin is blatant and obvious enough, unrepentant sinners are to be cut off or removed from the fellowship. What's the purpose of such an action? To bring the sinful person to repentance. The removing of fellowship is intended to discipline the wayward by taking away the comfort of their friendships in the congregation. It's intended to create a loneliness and emptiness that shocks the system and wakes the sinner up to the effects of their sin. That's why scripture says God left him. God wanted to shock Hezekiah into understanding the gravity of his sin. Many of us have felt that odd feeling of not being able to sense God's presence, to feel as if there's a wall between him and us. I know that's often forced me to my knees and has increased the intensity of my prayers. That was the objective for God as well, and it was effective. Second Chronicles 32 verse 26 says, But Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. Let me bring this sermon to a close. Tests are one of God's tools to shape our faith and challenge our tendency to just get by in our walk with him. These tests are not a rejection of our love and faith, but instead a way to help us to know how much he really does love and care for us. Intriguingly, the word testimony begins with the word test. I don't believe that's accidental. Our testimonies are often the result of our having gone through difficult times that have tested our faith and our trust in God. What makes testimonies so powerful is that they often reflect not only that we passed the test, but that God showed his love and his mercy in the midst of the storm. As Joyce C. Locke once said, today's difficulties are tomorrow's testimonies. My friend, what is the Lord prompting in your heart today? I encourage you and implore you, listen to him. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.